This is Hope FM. And it's my pleasure to welcome back to the show here on Hope FM, Joe Blackshaw. And uh, regular listeners may remember that Joe joined us last year to tell us about an epic adventure that she was going to embark on. And I'm very pleased to say that she did survive and she is with her right now. Hey, Joe, how are you doing? Hi, Gordon. I'm doing very well, thank you. Lovely to be here. It's great to have you back. Just to, just to refresh our minds, what was it you set out to do? So I set out with three other um, lovely mums uh, to row across the Atlantic from Lagomera in the Canary Islands to Antigua. Now, I know it's impolite to ask, but how young are you, Joe? Oh, we are. Um, we I'll be 50 next year. My friend Levy's 50 and the other two, the two sisters, uh, Pip and Dids, are in their 40s. So... Yes, it's, <laughs> I, 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 I've got to say you don't you don't look um, that age, I may say, but but it's an amazing thing to do when you're sort of in your twenties, in your rowing prime, having trained for ages and all the rest of it. But here you are, getting on with life, having kids, and then going, I'm going to row across the Atlantic, and this is not an easy challenge by any stretch of imagination. Sadly, there have been some people I believe who've died trying to row the Atlantic. People go missing. There's all sorts of challenges that can happen. Why did you decide you wanted to do it? Yeah, well, my mum said because it's there, but um, but that's not quite quite the case. So as you say, so we've got 11 children between us. Um, and um, I mean, I used, to, I used to row and um, I've always loved challenges and, and that kind of thing. But as you say, this is this is one of the, I mean, it's, they call it the world's toughest row, and there's more people that have have gone in space than have crossed a, an ocean in a rowing boat. So, um, so yeah, big big old challenge. Um, I uh, have known various people that have done it over the years, and it's always been something that's intrigued me. I love the water, I love the sea, and I love an adventure. Um, but my friend Pip, my crewmate uh, Pip's husband, did the same row two years ago, and um, she was so inspired at the finish line when she met him that uh, she decided to get a crew of, of mums together. And, um, you know, I think she was also intrigued. She's also epic and a big, big adventurer. And um, she was just intrigued by the fact that, rightly or wrongly, maybe this is a, a, a generalization, but generally people sort of, men, men tend to go off and do these challenges and know that, you know, everything can continue at home pretty much okay. Um, but it's more rare for, um, for mums to go off and leave the husbands holding the fort. and. Um, and and but we just well we have four husbands that that allowed us and and enabled us to do this so that so we're very lucky on that count um and also uh you know we we still hugely value the benefits of exercise of challenge of knowing that you know however much we you know our number one job is being a mum we still want to inspire our children and inspire other people and test ourselves and make sure that we're still pushing ourselves and and um and um, we've sort of gone and done just that it was an incredible experience wow I, it sounds absolutely incredible i just i can't imagine it but can you just like maybe paint a little bit of picture of People may not quite know what a boat is like. If you're, and if you're on a rowing boat, a rowing boat's only like only just a bit over a foot wide, and they're really quite yeah. narrow, aren't they? So, so it's not going to be like a rowing boat that you take on a river. But obviously, it still needs to be quite streamlined because otherwise, you're never going to go anywhere. I suppose. What 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 does the boat look like, and what facilities does it have on board? Yeah, facilities. So, so the boat's twenty nine foot long. Our boat's called Mrs Nelson, and it was the first of her kind ever built. And and. Um, we love Mrs. Nelson. I mean, she felt so safe. 
um, which sounds crazy, but she, she felt so safe. As you say, I mean, this is only a few foot wide. I mean, it has three rowing seats down the middle um, and then some gunnels. And, um, you know, there isn't much room to... What, what, to, are, what are gunnels for those who don't know? That, where, that's, that's the side bit where the water can sort of swoosh in and out, um, um, sort of down the side. But, but so we have three rowing seats and at each end there's a cabin. And we're not talking, you know, a luxurious cabin that you can stand up in. They're like little capsules at the end, which... Um, in the stern cabin where I was, there were all the control panels, the navigation equipment, the auto helm, um, the, the bit of that helps you steer sort of automatically, electronically. Um, and then there are two little sort of leg holes that you slip your legs down into and you can just about sort of, you know, my height, what am I, five foot nine? I mean, I don't know how six foot something men do it, but you, you slip down and you can get some sort of semblance of sleep. The bow cabin, we said, was more luxurious. Um, but we're still talking not much room. But anyway, so we have two people that are in the stern cabin and two in the bow cabin. But at any one time for the whole, we, we did the crossing in 40 days. At any one time, there were two rowers rowing and two resting. Um, in terms of facilities, um, you do everything within a kind of square meter, really. I mean, you there's a bucket that you go to the loo on. Um, that's on one corner, which is just by another rowing seat. Um, you prepare your... Your, you boil the water that you add to your dehydrated meals and then you sort of sit just across from the bucket and try and, you know, because there's only two people. So you've got one rowing seat effectively that's mostly free, but you can use it if you want to go a bit faster or harder or whatever. I, um, I've, I've been on some cheap cruises and even those were better than that. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I, I can't so tell you. It's you know, it, okay, you literally have a bucket for pooping and you yeah. have a little something stove to be able to warm up a bit of food. Yeah. Now... I have been on the ocean and sometimes it's not exactly stable. So just to check, you're saying to me that two people rest, two people row. And if I remember rightly, it may be a change when you did it, but I remember, I think you said you were planning to do two hours on, two hours off the yes. whole way. And so you don't get your like eight hours sleep, you get two hours sleep. But during that time, you have to do everything else as well yeah so, so two hours sleep is so two hours sleep never happens so so yes so um you have to keep yourself hygienic so obviously you're out in the elements um there's a lot of salt there's a lot of sweat etc so you have to wash so you help me i mean that's 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 key um so you come off the oars you get everything very finely tuned you wipe yourself down with wet i mean when i say wash you know you have environmentally friendly wet wipes um and you you make your own water so you're desalinating your water so you keep yourself clean you make sure you're eating and you have to you know you get through five to six thousand calories a day so you have to make sure you're nourishing yourself you have to make sure you're drinking enough water you have to make sure you're doing your you each have various jobs i was navigating and in charge of first aid, you know, someone else was responsible for make, filtering the water, someone was responsible for jet boiling, you know, so you have all these jobs as well. So you might just get an hour and a half. Um, and obviously, that's, um, that depends on the time of day as well. Um, in the heat of the day, it's impossible. I mean, it's so hot in the cabins, you'd actually rather be on board. So, so obviously, you're, you're going through the night as well. So I would get probably three shifts where I'd get one and a half hours sleep, sleep. Um, but the rest of it was... Um, yeah, you don't you don't get a you don't get a lot of sleep. Um, Does your brain just go fuzzy? There's a lot of brain fuzz. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of you know um, delirium, especially in the early the early weeks. But I say I'd say you never quite get used to it. Um, you'd set an alarm, especially in the nighttime shifts, where you you would be in your sleep 
and even you never get so the, the alarm will go off in your dreams and you'll think that's not for me that's not for me that's not for me and then at one point I opened a hatch and said am I already out on the oars and they were like sadly there's not two of you so you have to get out so so you um, <laughs> you, you have to keep I mean you have to keep going and also you're propelled by not letting your team down and you know you don't want someone else's shift to overrun so you have to get out there on the oars and you're of course propelled by wanting to get home to your children there is no quicker way once you're on that boat there is no quicker way to get across the Atlantic because you know you don't see another vessel for the majority of the trip I mean you literally see nothing else apart from your own rowing boat and this disc of water which is which is the hardest concept to get your head around actually so you mentioned delirium how many days was it after leaving was, was it was it the canary isles is that where you left from yes the canary Isles. so lagomera is a small island near to tenerife in the canary islands um and you know that this is one of the things i said i'd feel most I was most unsure about or scared about because no matter what how you've trained you haven't lost sight of shore um and basically I'd say for three days we could still see the Canary Islands but then they become a grey sliver and then eventually you don't see anything anymore and also you see the other you because we were a crew we were a fleet of 36 boats um that started but very quickly you fan out and very quickly you lose sight of the other boats um and so it was after two or three days, you know, the night times you could see a couple of the boats, the nav navigation lights winking and then, and then nothing. And you don't see anyone else for the next 36, seven days. So how many days in the row was it before someone said they wanted to stop? Um, we never did. We never what? did. I mean, I mean, you know, you get your two hours on, two hours off, but we, we never did actually. I think I'm, I'm sort of, we, we had a catch up um, call. I mean, I'm missing, I'm missing the girls now. I mean, we, we, uh, we had an amazing time. We prepared really well. We knew each other really well. We talked about all sorts of eventualities in terms of our personalities and what we feared the most, what we looked forward to the most, et cetera. Um, we, never, we never missed a shift. Um, so one of my crewmates was very seasick for several days. She valiantly would throw up in a bucket and then keep rowing. Um, um, I mean, the truth was nothing made her feel any better, if you know what I mean, lying down. And so she, she just kept going, which was amazing. Um, you, you, you frequently think, oh, I really want to get to Antigua. You do think that, but you don't. But, but we didn't have a kind of, oh, my gosh, I want to get off. I hate this. So we were really, you know, That's, really lucky from that perspective. Because because a lot of crews do go through that. And of, of the 36 boats, did they yeah. all finish? So sadly, one chap... Um, stopped very early on he was a solo rower and he he broke he broke an arm I think but he stumbled on his boat I mean I, how anyone does this solo I'm in total awe but he stumbled but he was only a couple of days out of the Canary Islands so he was he was rescued and taken back everyone else I say has finished there are still boats out there there's still two boats out there I believe oh, wait so what, what date did you leave the Canary Isles so we left on the 12th of December um and we got back oh gosh which day was it so i'm trying to think now so, so we're, we're recording this on the 17th of february That's so you're right. telling me there are two boats still rowing a single and a pair to my i need to i need to double check this but yeah a single and a pair i mean it's unbelievable um i'm just checking my i've got my my yb tracker which everyone can track us on which honestly it's uh it's amazing and where are they so i don't believe there's a single out there and a pair and uh, yeah, it's, hang on, finish, 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 finished. Yeah, there's three boats still out there, two singles and a pair. 
um i, I can't work out in my head how many days that is but that oh, is, lots, it's lots a lot and and you say when you're out there you don't see any other boats once once you split up was there a temptation to try and stay next to some boats did you communicate and wave at each other as you were going along at all <laughs> when you could see them or it's, or not really it's a really good question we, we just in terms of communicating with other boats you can radio other boats um within a certain i mean um it's really hard the ocean is just massive, massive, massive. And I think we did talk about this. We said it would be quite fun if you'd said to some another crew, oh, let's just go at the same time. You just, I suppose you can see sort of probably five miles in terms of horizon. And it's very, very hard to actually stay close to somebody. In fact, one of one team, um, a wonderful team of, of chaps called the Recon Rowers, um, they have, um, they were, they've, gosh, one of them became a grandfather for the second time during the row. Um, and they saw on the control plotter that they were near us and they radioed us and said, oh, we think we're near you. We're, we, you might be able to see us on the horizon. And we stood up and you could just about see them glinting on the horizon. And we were really excited and we thought, oh, we, we'll catch up. We never did. And they went further north or south and we went for, it's really hard. The, the ocean is just, is just massive. So, um, so we're navigating across it's relatively simple in terms of, you know, uh, waypoints and getting across actually getting to other boats is, is really hard in rowing um yeah so you obviously didn't have a rescue situation but if a boat is out there and it suddenly is floundering and taking water and going down what are your rescue options so these boats are phenomenal and you've mentioned people dying on the on the row um so we we did it as part of an organized race called the talisker whiskey atlantic challenge and um and uh no one has ever died on on that in that race um, they prepare you phenomenally so you have all your survival training um you've 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 been out in the boat 120 hours as a crew you've done uh, you know you know that boat inside out <coughs> there are two safety boats which um they uh, they sort of navigate through the fleet and then help people out um we didn't see the safety boat at all they they do tell you, I mean, I didn't tell my children before I left, but they do tell you that it can take three to four days for any safety boat to get to you. That's the reality. But I would say these boats are unsinkable, apparently, and I wouldn't try this at home, but apparently you can cut the boat in half and they'll still float. You have a life raft and you have supplies for far, far longer than you're going to be out in the water. So your boat is laden with supplies. Um, the the Recon rowers that I mentioned, they had a marlin strike. So they had a, a fish called a marlin with a long sort of very, very sharp bill that pierced through the, the hull of their boat, through their food supplies and dented the top. It thrashed around, came out again and left a massive hole in their boat, right? They still finished. I mean, they didn't, they didn't finish as fast as they would have done, but they patched up the hole and kept going. So, so it's amazing, right? They're also very, they're self-writing. I, I, I just, I, yeah. I do remember, I remember you telling me about the possibility of marlin strikes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. The fact that you know some people who had one that, that went right that way through is absolutely bonkers. So you um, would say from that, but one other thing you did talk to us about before you said us about not capsizing, you talked to me about the fact that you had to actually go in the water to clean underneath the boat possibly. Is that something yeah. that actually someone did? Did you do yeah, that? Yeah, well, I, I, did, I did that. Uh, yeah, I did that. Um, I did that a couple of times actually once. So, so they suggest doing it every sort of 10-ish or so days, but of course that depends on the conditions because if you have 
20, 30 foot waves, you're not going to be jumping off the boat. However tethered on you are, it's dangerous because the boat's banging around on top of you. Um, the first time we did it, it was quite benign. So our first half of our race, we actually had the hardest thing we dealt with was not having much wind behind us and on a lot of sun. So that was grueling. Um, but yes, yeah, so so after 10 days, in fact, what did we do after a week? So the idea is that as you're going along, the boat sort of attracts various bits of weed and barnacles and everything else. It's amazing how quickly that happens. So so yes, so so you you should clean it to keep it, you know, aerodynamic or aquadynamic, um, and um, hydrodynamic. Hydrodynamic, that's right. And uh, but also to stop, so fish then feed underneath it, and then things like marlin come and want to eat the fish under boats. Anyway, so we jumped in. I mean, I, I really enjoyed that bit. Um, you have to be tethered on at all times anyway, but it is it is quite scary jumping into the into the sea when even if you're tethered on um but it's just a joy as well when you're that hot and that's uncomfortable to be able to stretch out in the water the second time i did it was actually not as great because we'd heard about this marlin strike the weather wasn't as good and um it was actually really quite scary jumping in i have to say the boat was you know you have to sort of dive underneath and scrub underneath and come back up again and you think this is insane and we've got four miles of water beneath us or whatever so um so yeah we did four four, four miles of water and potentially aggressive predators and protect potentially yeah it's funny you know people ask about sharks i mean we saw some we saw you know pods of hundreds of dolphins and we were hit by lots of flying fish um we saw a whale but just one whale i mean some crews had amazing sightings of of big schools of whales and on all sorts um we we didn't see any sharks but you do you do sort of look down and hope that there's nothing coming but yeah you do jump in did, did you watch lots lots of shark films before you went? Yeah, apparently one crew um, actually had downloaded Jaws and watched it on their row. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, which, uh, but but no, um, we didn't. But I'd, I mean, it's funny. People are scared of different things. I, I think um, you know, being out at sea is something that a lot of people find very terrifying. Um, I I love the being out at sea, but I. I uh, I didn't really worry about, I mean, I was much more worried about marlins because I know that they actually attack the boats, whereas sharks haven't, they don't really attack a, a boat. But um, but one crew had a shark following them quite, quite, you know, close to Antigua, actually. So, um, so you know, but yes, just other fish we saw. Um, it was fine. And and you said your, your boats, basically, you didn't capsize, but, but other boats will have capsized. But if it does capsize, how does the boat sort itself out? So, so you, you always have to have your hatches closed. Um, there's all sorts of rules. And, um, and when you, you know, going back to your earlier question about sort of delirium and tiredness, um, you have to watch out for each other. You know, you have to make sure that you're not kind of stumbling out of your cabin and forgetting to tether on to your, you know, to the safety lines. Um, you know, you use like climbing harnesses um, and that's the golden rule, really. I mean, you can do all the man overboard drills you want to do, but if you're not harnessed on, it's it would be impossible to get someone. Um, and um yeah, we didn't capsize. It's really hard to capsize those boats, but they are self-writing. Um, you all have to get onto one side. So once 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 the boat has sort of stopped, sort of they do sort of turn, flip themselves back over. I've never done it. So so to this day, we, we discussed it so many times. When we were in big storms, we were like, just remind me what we do if we capsize again. We've never had to do it. But yes, other other crews have had to. And um, you know, they uh I think you just you've just got to be very careful, protect your heads, make sure that you're communicating all the time um you know all that sort of thing sorry that's right how to your dog yeah. so uh, what was the most frightening moment about the journey 
So, so one of mine was that was the second time I jumped in. I loved jumping in the water, but the second time, you know, we'd stop rowing, you know, you just stop rowing and you make sure your oars are safe. And then I jumped in, but, but as I say, it was really quite wavy and the boat just moved away. And my, my tether sort of tightened. And I thought, gosh, it, it was suddenly this vulnerability of I'm in the water. We're the only boat around for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. And the boat's smacking up and down. And as you say, there are predators and everything, but it's suddenly that that intense vulnerability. And I did feel my heart suddenly, you know, fall out in my chest. And I just sort of thought, oh gosh, okay, I'm very, you know, you need to be very careful. Um, we did have some really intense storms in the second half where at, at night, one, if there were clouds, I mean, we had some beautiful moonlit nights, stars, beautiful, beautiful, I've never seen the light. I mean, my favorite, times with the nights they were stunning um and cool and refreshing and lovely um but when it was stormy and there was bad weather and big waves um suddenly it was like the lights had gone out you couldn't see where the water hit the sky you couldn't see waves coming out of you and they would break over you and um and I mean I mean I say it was terrifying I found it quite exhilarating. There was one really bad storm where we just had to keep rowing. You have to keep rowing so that you, you know, your also helm responds. And, but I mean, the wind was blowing, but it was almost this kind of, we, we actually got the giggles. We were so sort of, <laughs> this is terrifying and ridiculous. And what on earth are we doing? But Pip, uh, Dids and I, who were on the oars at the time, our, our friend, you know, our crewmates were in the cabins having some sleep. And we just, you know, I mean, there was almost hailstones. I mean, we were so hot during most of the row. It was because you go very far south. We were so hot, but there were almost hailstones and we just got the giggles because it was so terrifying and so ridiculous and so black, such blackness like you've never known. But um, but we were somehow still upright and rowing. So that's why we love our boat. We felt very safe on our boat. And you wow. do start to believe that it's quite hard to capsize. So you talked about being in storms and obviously in the Bible, in Matthew 8, it talks about Jesus calming a storm. Were there times that you ever prayed, Joe? There were times I prayed. Well, I prayed, I prayed a lot, actually. I, I, I prayed every day when I was on the boat. Um, and I think it was, uh, but, it, but it wasn't to sort of, it wasn't in response to a storm or, I mean, I, I felt strangely safe when I was away. And I think sort of sometimes having some sort of spirituality and faith, it does calm you anyway in these things. But um, to be honest, my prayers were more about my children being okay while I was away and my mum being okay while I was away. And, you know, all those things, it, it was less about keeping us safe, I, I guess. Um, I felt very, um, I felt very calm sort of going away. We, we trained, we prepared, we'd done everything that we should do um, and, you know, that's a wonderful feeling when you go out and you think, look, this is a, a potentially scary thing to do, but we we have we put ourselves in the best position to be safe. And that was one of our priorities to be safe and um, to be happy and to be kind um, and to enjoy it. So we'd set ourselves some really good goals um, in terms of uh, praying. It's just something that, you know, just having a quiet moment to sort of be calm and, and remember what you're doing and be thankful for what you've been able to do. And also just always think about your loved ones. So that was that was more what my prayers were about. Wow, thinking of other people. That's absolutely amazing. So um, I like that very much. 90.1 Hope FM and hopefm.com. Now, I'm very pleased to say we're joined by both of your children, Amy and Daniel. Now, I think you guys are twins, aren't you? How old are you guys? 
we're 12. 12, right. Okay, that's a great age to be, I'm sure. So one of you maybe can answer this question. How did you feel about your mum doing this amazing challenge beforehand? Um, I mean, it, it, when she first mentioned it, we were like, I think both of us were in tears in the car going down to Burnham on Crouch. And we went to see this boat, which was still full of all this manky stuff that was used for the, for the first, for the last people that used it. We're like, please don't do this, because she'd she be going for our way for Christmas, which is really important in our family. And it, it's just something that we would we'd really miss without her, especially just with our dad. So, uh, I mean, we, we, we obviously we wanted her to do something special and do something amazing in, in this time of her life. But for us, it was kind of, the stuff she does with us and before bedtime and whatever that we're going, we would really miss. So she left recordings and stuff, but we, but we kind of, we, we definitely felt very kind of scared in a way. Well, that, that in fact was going to be one of my questions. Were, were you ever scared while she was gone? So you were scared beforehand. Were you scared when she was out on the water? I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't scared as in for the safety of it. I mean, it's very safe. No one's have died doing it. I mean, it, it's a very, very safe challenge and they, but um, so some, some of the things that my mum told me after the row, I, I was very, uh, I mean, that scared me. She, she, she said something like some safety roads wouldn't get there for one to two days. I'm like, yeah, sure. Anyway, but um, the, the whole race wasn't scary, but uh, the whole thought of her leaving in, in such a kind of stressful time in our, in our school life and for Christmas, it, that is, yeah, that was quite scary. How about you? What did you? Uh, I, I didn't really find it scary at all. I mean, I didn't I didn't really want her to leave, but I was quite proud of her. Um, the safety on the boat was very good. But then afterwards, she told us the things that she said she wouldn't tell us before. And then we were like, oh, God, I didn't want that happening. Yeah, I, I, and I think you're, you're right that this race is a very safe race, but plenty of people who've tried to do it, maybe without the same organisation support and training, sadly haven't made it because it isn't a safe thing to go and do but your mum did it in the safest possible way which was probably wise of her so she came back just fine and all the better for doing it i'm sure i, I am guilty of being slightly economical with the truth about how safe it was to my children before i left uh just because i didn't want them getting too worried about it but um but yes yeah and, and did, did you guys manage to speak at all while she's on the journey was there a sat phone or something uh, yeah, we we spoke to her uh, one once or twice a day. So yeah, some some of the people on her boat only spoke to their kids <laughs> like a couple of times throughout the race, but we managed to speak every day. Wow, that's amazing! You got speak. That shows the power of technology, doesn't it? I imagine for some people actually, it might be quite difficult to make those phone calls because you're missing each other so much that you actually it's easier almost not to have to do the talking thing because it puts your mind into that headspace again. So it depends upon the individual what's the right way for them. Now, as part of this trip, you guys actually got to fly out to Antigua to get to meet your mum and greet her as her boat came in finishing this amazing uh, transatlantic challenge after 40 days. What did that feel like for you? What was going through your head when you first saw your mum? Well, I mean, it was it was amazing we saw them so we we had like a spot on top of a cliff when they were coming around the corner and it took quite a while for them to actually get to the finishing point but then we we when they came in uh and they were doing like their like talk like their speeches or whatever uh we they couldn't see us because their their audience is actually pretty big probably one of the biggest receptions 
And so then when they came around to like, uh, when they came around through the crowd and then she finally saw us, I mean, I, it was just amazing. And she looked so different. In, in what way did she look different? I mean, she came out shredded, properly strong and tanned. <laughs> she had a little funny tan on her, on her lower legs and stuff like that. Yeah, so so so, <laughs> lots of muscle, probably quite lean. I would think. Did did you, Joe? Uh, jo, I think when you told us before, you expected that during the challenge you'd lose quite a lot of weight, which is strange when you think about it. You think you're going to be building muscle. What what actually did happen to your physique? Yeah, I did. I mean, apparently, and they they weigh you the morning you leave, and they weigh you as soon as you get off the boat. Um, and I, I apparently lost 15 kilo, kilograms. I mean, it, I, I didn't feel that. I mean, I ate really well on the boat, and as you say, you're 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 doing a lot of exercise, but you're obviously burning a, a lot of calories. Um, and I felt I felt pretty healthy, um, and I didn't think I had 15 kilos to lose. But it wasn't until my children saw me that they were like, "Wow, mummy, you've <laughs> you've really you've disappeared a bit." Um, but I think you put that on quite quickly, to be honest. But we were we were given a big burger and chips as soon as we arrived, and Antiguan <laughs> fair while we were there. But um, but yeah, I guess we did look different. Well, I thought my children looked different as well. Amy had a haircut, and they'd both grown, you know. So um, so no, it was a really tearful. I mean, that's the thing. Modern technology is amazing. I spoke to them on the sat phone, but um, but I hadn't seen them. I hadn't seen pictures of them. I hadn't, you know. And that's the first time in our lives that I haven't been able to FaceTime. You know, we've got really spoiled with all the technology, being able to see one another and exchange pictures. So that was pretty emotional. And having six weeks where I hadn't been able to see them um you know it was was really it was hard but amazing amazing when we did finally get together we had a bit of a cry and a cuddle didn't we oh the kids are nodding there you go that's that's lovely so um and guys kids what was the first thing you actually wanted to do with your mum other than have a hug uh once you got back to england um what was the thing you were most looking forward to getting back to doing basically for me it would be just spending time at home not doing anything special her being at home for a bit you know because we've, we've been at home for ages with just our dad but i think just being at home and not, not even like cuddling up with her on the sofa for 20 for 24 hours literally just her being in the house and we're being able to go speak to her or ask her something you know or cuddle her that was the main thing for me i think i think in our house there'd be questions such as mum where is my because as a dad, I've got to say, I've got no idea where lots of things are. And my wife knows where absolutely everything is because she's very organised in our house. Yeah, so moved. Things have definitely moved. I've been finding Danny's tracksuit bottoms in Amy's cupboard and swimming stuff down the side of things. And yeah, <laughs> that's OK. Yeah, that, that can all get fixed. That's OK. Um, OK, so, Joe, you mentioned about... Um, you're one of the things you really enjoyed was was the night vistas and just the amount of stars uh, that you could see. Yes. I think appropriate right now if we just play a track in honour of that moment, let's play Starry Starry Night. Starry Starry Night Paint your palette blue and grey Look out on a summer's day With eyes that know the darkness my soul shadows on the hills sketch the trees and the daffodils catch the breeze and the winter chills in colors on the snowy linen land now I understand 
What you tried to say to me And how you suffered for your sanity And how you tried to set them free They would not listen, they did not know how Perhaps they'll listen now Starry, starry night Flaming flowers that brightly blaze Swirling clouds in violet haze Reflect in Vincent's eyes of china blue Colors changing hue Morning fields of amber grain Weathered faces lined in pain Are soothed beneath the artist's loving hand Now I understand What you tried to say to me And how you suffered for your sanity And how you tried to set them free They would not listen, they did not know how Perhaps they'll listen now For they could not love you But still your love was true And when no hope was left inside On that starry, starry night You took your life as lovers often do But I could have told you, Vincent This world was never meant for one as beautiful as you Starry, starry night Portraits hung in empty halls Frameless heads on nameless walls With eyes that watch the world and can't forget Like the strangers that you've met The ragged men in ragged clothes A silver thorn, a bloody rose Lie crushed and broken on the virgin snow Now I think I know What you tried to say to me And how you suffered for your sanity And how you tried to set them free They would not listen, they're not listening still Perhaps they never Obviously, you said there's loads of equipment and supplies and resources on the boat. What what was your favourite thing that was on the boat? Maybe your favourite oh. luxury thing. Was there was there like oh. something extra that you, you went? Oh, this is so important and special to me. Oh, we had so many conversations about this. We had because there was an extensive kit list, so the things you had to have on the boat, and then we had other things that we thought, right, we're going to we're going to bring them. So so i can't name one thing so i would say my my eye mask and my earplugs because my the cabin i slept in was just horrifically loud waves smacking the side of the boat and the auto helm made such horrendous noise so i actually my earplugs and my eye mask just to get that little bit of shut eye was amazing um we 
We didn't. We didn't. We on buckets. We actually used these little these little plastic jugs that we um, were very proud of ourselves. They only cost about three pounds, and we put them between our legs and gripped them between our thighs, and we could go for a wee, sort of standing up, holding onto the side rails. Anyway, it's the, the visual is amazing, but the, we were like, <laughs> there's, there's not there's not much privacy on a boat, is there? Really not much privacy, really not much privacy. These wonderful gel cushions, because you have to protect your bottoms, obviously. These wonderful, like, pregnancy um, gel sort of post-pregnancy or, you know, but cushions that you can sit on. Um, brilliant, brilliant. I mean, honestly, just saved our bottoms. Um, and then, so little bits of food. We had we, our, our night snacks with this bag, wonderful bag of chocolate bars that we'd kept sort of down in the cool beneath the waterline during the day. And then we'd bring them out at night and put them on the deck. I've never inhaled double-deckers at such a rate <laughs> of knots. Um, so things, things like that, really. Um, Clothing and stuff. I mean, it was silly. We'd, we'd pack things like... Evening like evening cash, gown. Cashmere socks that we thought we'd keep oh. ourselves cosy in the in the cabins, but the cabins were sweltering. I mean, they were wet with condensation and sweltering at all times. So we just we did laugh about some of the kit that we packed and thought, no, we're, we're never going to use that. Um, so it, I don't think we anticipated it being quite so uncomfortably hot. And we rode sort of naked or with a, a very small like a vest top most of the time okay wow and for for people who might be considering doing such challenge what advice now that you've done it what have you learned that you would now share with someone else contemplating such a thing i mean the number one the number one thing i would say is 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 pick your crew work with your crew um know your crew as much as best you can because, I mean, we genuinely like and admire each other. We have stayed friends. Um, set your intentions, set your goals, make sure they're aligned, make sure you understand one another, make sure you understand how each other ticks because you are gonna be under the most grueling, difficult, scary, whatever conditions that you will have ever, ever experienced, probably. And if you don't, um, you know, know and respect your crew and look after each other. It can be really lonely and really difficult. And so we are, we thank our lucky stars all the time. So we didn't just, we, we didn't just complete the row and feel that we'd had done this great challenge, but we felt that we'd sort of, you know, really sort of enjoyed ourselves and shared an experience and we'll be soulmates for life. So I would say, I'd say that's really important. Don't, don't brush under the carpet any, you know, oh, I don't really get on with that person, but it'll, it'll be okay. It's only 40 days. That, those 40 days are long and you need to have belly laughs. You need to be caring. You need to be kind. You need to be thoughtful. It's it's so important. Um, and even people who've done really well in the race. So in previous races, I've spoken to them, even people who have maybe won the race, they've had maybe stand up rows and fallen out with their crewmate and they look back on it with bit of sadness you know you've gone through something amazing and you look back and you think oh you know so anyway so that that's my overriding forget I mean obviously you've got to be you've got to train and you've got to be as fit as you can and you've got to be safe and you've got to look after yourselves and prepare and all those things but but the race organizers help you do all of that I'd say the mental side of it your mental prep and being being the best person you can be and as kind as you can be to your crewmates is so important like I couldn't stress it enough well, did, did you have any arguments at all or not an argument the whole way? Um, no, we did. We did. I wouldn't say arguments. Um, we had 
so so we found ourselves in this intense intense race so we'd gone south and the other female four had gone north and they'd set out to win the race they were younger and stronger than us um their boat was younger and stronger than ours <laughs> um lovely girls actually anyway but we, we found ourselves so someone was giving us updates so we couldn't see exactly where the fleet was but people were giving us daily updates we had a weather router helping us with sort of weather systems and it found we found after a thousand miles of, of rowing that we that we were neck and neck and we'd i mean i couldn't we couldn't see them they were further north we were further south but we were neck and neck in terms of getting to the finish line. And then you have this kind of conversation where you're like, well, we didn't set out to win this, but we're all competitive and, you know, we're not going to let it slip away from us. So, but then you have sort of different views on how much you can push yourself. So, so it's a marathon, not a sprint. So then, you know, so we had various debates, quite heated debates as to how much we could tolerate. You know, do we want to, so I said there were three rowing seats. We were generally rowing two people, you know, did we go that extra mile and go three people rowing? reduce our rest time and you know so at sometimes towards the end we were rowing two hours on one hour off and by that stage I mean my hands have still not recovered that's my one you know that's my one worry now in terms of lasting effects um but do you mean you uh, can't straighten your fingers or could I have can been... straighten them I can't do fine motor I can't I can't I can't go put them back into that position without a lot of pain so I have a lot of joint pain anyway but but it's it affects everyone in different ways but um but so there was just I say sort of not so much arguments it's just heated kind of like what are we going to do here are we going to push it are we not what can, what are we capable of and um but but they were sort of blown away with everyone working together and kind of being tolerant and then having a sense of humor. A sense of humor is massively important. You've got to laugh things off and look at things in the light of day and all that sort of stuff. So no, I mean, we, we just, um, you know, you, it's, it's just an ultimate test of how you resolve, resolve any differences of opinion. Cause you're not all gonna, you know, it's like anything. And I mean, you're not gonna get on all the time, but, but generally I, th I suppose, I mean, it helps being mums. I mean, it helps being a bit older. And I, I think, you know, you've gone through this and you can kind of see the bigger picture, but um, but we genuinely have, we, you know, we, we enjoy catching up. We're, we're missing each other now. So, so, uh, so no, it was, it was really good. So you set out to do it in under 45 days. What happened? So we, we, we did, we, we'd sort of broadly said um, 45, under 45 days would be great. And a lot of this is weather dependent. Some race, some years you have a tailwind at your back the whole time. Somewhere, some years you don't, somewhere years you have terrible weather, some years you don't. Anyway, so we'd set up roughly to do that. And then my crewmate Pippa's husband had done, his crew had done it in uh, 41 days. So we'd also said, wouldn't it be great to beat the boys? Anyway, that was sort of in the back of our heads. But our stated aim was to get over, be safe, be kind, be strong, and stay, you know, stay friends um, through it. Um, and we did it in 40 days, which was brilliant. So the first the first half was grueling, as I say. So we just we I'm sorry, I know it was you did it in 40 days. 40 days, yeah. That's absolutely amazing, Joe. So oh. you did you were faster than the boys crew. So we That's... were we were faster than the boys, which was um which was brilliant. Yeah. Are, are, really... are they are they going to now have to do it again to try and get faster than you? <laughs> no no I think I think one or two of them do want to do it again but they'll do it in another accommodation but no I mean they you know David was incredibly supportive um and we did beat some men's crews and we beat some mixed crews and um I think I think we probably surprised people a little bit I think you know as as mom we had a lot of su support from the other crews in the fleet you know there's a great great camaraderie among the fleet before we left um and 
but I think people thought I think people thought saw that we were you know relatively sort of fit and up for it but I don't I think they might have underestimated us because they thought well they're a bunch of mums bless them but um but we did we were we were very competitive and we did we we did ourselves proud I think I, I absolutely am amazed I think your rowing joke awesome uh, so uh, right anyway uh, so um <laughs> With regards to what happens off the back of it, I, I, I'm guessing you were being sponsored and doing stuff for charity, weren't you? Which, which charities were you supporting? We were supporting three charities, actually. We were supporting um, three wonderful charities. So the Felix Fund, um, which is a bomb disposal charity. Um, they're, a, they're a charity that don't get as much... Fo- they're all three small charities that don't get as much focus normally. So it was real, really you know, it, it sort of spurred us on to be raising money for them. But the Felix Fund, they do <coughs> bomb disposal. Bomb disposal experts uh, are, are sort of deployed into different regiments, but they don't have their own group, if you like. So this this fund raises money for them. Uh, people who've been injured doing, uh, you know, in their line of duty and their families. Um, amazing charity. Uh, the, the Noah's Ark Hospice, which is based in London, um, which looks after very disabled and terminally ill children. Um, and uh, the th- final one was Women in Sport. And Women in Sport, we sort of, uh, we joined, we brought that in a little bit later on. Um, it was something that um, that united us, really. I think as four women who all have daughters, as it happens, um, clearly all have mothers, um, you know, we are... We are in our forties, fifties. Uh, you know, we've we've really benefited from the the advantages of sport and exercise all our lives. I mean, you know me from school. I, you know, I was lucky enough to have parents that encouraged me in sport and exercise. And I've 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 met fantastic people. I've stayed fit and healthy. I'm encouraging my children to do the same. You don't have to row an, row an ocean, but you know, just staying active, particularly on the back of COVID and what people have gone through. Um, so, women in sport is a charity that enables and encourages and inspires. Um, women and girls to not be hampered by any boundaries in sport and exercise. So th- those three charities, and we've raised now almost seventy thousand. So people are still sponsoring us even after the event, which is amazing. That is absolutely fantastic. So it's fantastic you've already raised that amount. If people are wanting to to actually give some money because it's been such an amazing feat you've done is it too late or is it still open for people to make donations it's not too late we we love donations so if the easiest way to do it is to go into if you search just giving the mothership in google you will find us it'll come up and it looks it's under felicity ashley but that's that's all the charities you'll see you'll, you'll be able to donate to each of the charities um and yeah it's still very much open so, you, so your boat was called the Mothership, which obviously is a very clever name, I feel. So, yes, um, yeah, uh, we love that. And if people want to just look you up and find out a little bit about your story, where, where's the web address or what social are you on? It's themothership.uk um, on, on, as, a, as our website. Our, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. Um, so let me just remind myself. So on Instagram, we are mothership underscore T-W-A-C, twack mothership underscore twack so um, twac what does that sound for talisker whiskey atlantic challenge uh, um and on uh facebook i have to keep reminding myself we're just the mothership and actually you can well you, you won't be able to see this on the radio but we're a sort of dark blue background with a neon green um m with the mothership so you'll see it that's our 
You'll find your us. logo. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, Joe Blackshaw, thank you so much for coming back and sharing a bit about your epic journey. Um, I'm very proud of you. I think it's an amazing thing to have achieved. Oh, thank you um, for having me on. And um, and it, no, it's a real pleasure. It's a real pleasure. Um, it's lovely to be able to come back and reflect on it. So, well, uh, and, and I am wondering in the back of my mind, have you now managed to put the adventurous side of you to bed? Or is it the case that now you've done that challenge and you did say in the interview, you always got to push yourself. Do you think there's going to be another thing that you go, oh, maybe I should do Everest? I have no intention of, of leaving my children for that long ever again. That was by far the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, no, I'm actually, no, I don't have a sort of itch that I need to scratch. Um, uh, this was a wonderful, you know, serendipitous thing that came to me. I was asked to join and and for whatever reason, I, you know, I couldn't be happy that I'd done it, but I have, I'm very happy with my, being with back with my family. It's wonderful to be back and having new perspective and, and appreciating everything that I have. So no, I'm very blessed. 90.1 Hope FM and hopefm.com.